If you have your own copy of God's Word, I will invite you to open with me to Psalm 78. Once you get there, you will see that it is uh, 72 verses long. So I'm not going to read every verse uh, for us at the beginning. Uh, and I do not intend to exhaust this psalm today, so you will be out before dinner. I mean the evening meal, not lunch. I don't know about that. Uh, we're just going to read Psalm 78, verses 1 to 8, and I would invite you to stand with me as we hear God's Word today. Psalm 78, uh, verses 1 to 8, say this, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God. And not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. And they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Let's pray. God, we thank You for this, Your holy word. And we pray, even as Alex just prayed, that You would convict us. God, we pray that You would draw us to You and that Your spirit would write these words on our heart. In Christ's name, amen. You can be seated. It is now the month of August, which if you are uh, in school, a school-aged uh, child, you are aware that school is drawing closer. If you're a parent, you are very aware that they bumped school back a week, and so it's not as close <laughs> as it was before. Now, different schools are doing different things, and uh, of all the things that, ha that the pandemic has affected, certainly our children and their school has been uh, a major one. For public schools, they have not been in person since March, and it has uh, been very crazy to see all the different ways uh, our children's lives have been affected because of that. All the different kinds of sports and activities uh, that they are used to doing, many of them have been shifted around and changed or canceled uh, altogether. Uh, and for us here at the church, because close contact, you know, kids, social distancing is like, you know, insane, impossible. And so, uh, like many others of our sister churches, we have not started back our children's ministry yet. Uh, and we, uh, especially as parents that are watching our kids, we, we're grieving this. We're grieving all the things that our children have not been able to do, all the different things that are uh, a change for them. And so, uh, we're thinking especially of our kids drawing into the fall season and thinking, what, what, what's next for them? What's, what's next for our kids? Uh, our parent, as parents, we've kind of been on a roller coaster. Uh, I've told Amber, just give me like a once a week update on what the school's up, you know, situation is, because I think on Friday I got like four different things that were happening related to schools. I'm like, hey, just like once a week, tune me in on what you know what the latest is, and that'll that'll be enough, um, because it's been it's been all over. And I, I, one thing I think that's come of this, that that maybe you're already thinking, if not, we we all need to be as with, with all of our kids' schedules just thrown up in the air, schools, church, 
activities, all of it's just kind of thrown up in the air. This is as good a time of any for us to stop and say, okay, what's really essential for our children? What, what, is, what really matters? Because just going about normal like isn't an option. We, can't, we don't have the choice of just doing status quo where our kids just keep doing what they've always been doing because that, that option's not on the table. So as we think creatively and differently about what is next for our kids, this is as good a time as any for us to stop and say, what, what has to happen? What really matters? What is essential? And I use that word essential intentionally because that word got thrown around a lot with the pandemic, didn't it? Essential and non-essential workers. That either boosted people's egos or deflated your job because you were deemed non-essential, whatever, you know, whatever that means. But for our kids, I think that's a critical word. Because we do all kinds of things for ourselves and for our kids that probably aren't essential. But if we had to boil it down to what is essential for our kids, what, what would we say matters most? This morning, as we come to the very last of this Summer Psalms playlist, we turn to Psalm 78. It's talking about the next generation, our children, and what really matters to them. So I, I do have in mind, especially our parents today, because one of the things that the pandemic has made us realize is that, hey, as parents, we had to do some schooling. We had to become teachers, didn't we? We took on some extra responsibilities back in, in the, the, to end the spring semester that maybe we didn't really sign up for. But there's another responsibility that we've had to take on in a greater way that is our responsibility, and that is discipling our children. Because we've been able to put out some, some videos and send some resources uh, electronically to you for children's ministry, but... It hasn't been in person. And so if you're, you as parents aren't leading your children and discipling your children, then, then they could have gotten zero because we, we don't have the opportunity here right now to be doing discipleship. So as parents, my, my, my call and my invitation is to remind you that the Bible says you are the primary disciple makers of your children. You are the ones that are primarily in charge uh, of passing along to the next generation. But this Psalm isn't just for parents, <laughs> because all of us are called to make disciples of the next generation. You know who did not have any biological kids? Jesus or Paul. Two of the most influential people, I think you would agree, in all of the world, never had biological children. Weren't married, didn't have kids. But I think it's fair to say they had a pretty big impact on the next generation on the generation after them, and the one after that, and after that, and ever since, and forever. You see, the scriptures do give us a, a creation call to, to marriage and to biological procreation, but even more important is the spiritual heritage that we pass on. You see, the Bible calls us, yes, to you know, pass on the faith to our biological children, but all of us are called to pass on the faith to somebody to be investing in the next generation in some way, shape, or form. In the Old Testament, uh, the, the, the bedrock passage uh, for so much uh, of the foundation of our faith comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, where it says, Hear, o Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In verse 7 it says, And you shall teach them diligently to your children. That's the same heart behind Psalm 78, that our, our faith is the essential thing that we want to pass on to the next generation, whether that be our biological offspring or those around us in the next generation. 
So Psalm 78 here, uh, six times in these open, opening verses, talks about our children or the next generation. It says, verse 5, uh, God established a testimony in Jacob, and he appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know the, next, the, the children yet unborn arise and tell them to their children. So God has called us to something, and He has appointed a law in Israel. Maybe you remember the Ten Commandments, right? Given to Moses on top of Mount Sinai. And this psalm is saying He's not going to repeat that moment in every generation. Not every generation has a, Mo, a, a Moses. God is not going to come down every generation to make sure every generation sees the same thing. No, we were called to pass along that story to the next generation. So we are called to pass on the law, but also, if you go back to the Psalms, back to the Ten Commandments, you'll be reminded that the Ten Commandments start this way. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So even the law begins with a story. And that's what our psalm is today. Psalm 78 is the story of God's faithfulness to His people. Psalm 78 is a story that we're called to share among ourselves and to share to the next generation. There's a story that's worth telling, that we need to tell. There's a story that God has given to us that we want to pass along to the next generation. You'll see this is a lengthy psalm. We just read the first eight verses. But verses 9 to 72, they tell that story the story of God's faithfulness, and the story of God's grace. God, He wants more than just uh, us memorizing a few laws and, and memorizing a few verses or, or knowing the general idea of being a good person. God wants to invite us into His story to be one of His children and to participate in what He has. So Psalm 78 draws us in, and He's, aim, he's aiming at our hearts. Verse 1, He talks about this teaching, this parable, this story he's going to tell. And so he's thinking about the history, but then he interprets that for us. And so he tells this in a way that we can, we can pass on to the next generation. And so his story, the story that the Bible calls us to, it starts this way. It starts by calling us to say, tell the next generation to learn from our mistakes. <laughs> tell the next generation to learn from our mistakes. Anybody made any mistakes in here? Just me? Okay, the few? Yeah. There's, there's something valuable, isn't there, about looking at our children or younger people around us and saying, hey, I had to learn this the hard way. Let, let me tell you this so that you don't have to do it the same way that I did. It's been said there's, there's two paths to wisdom. Either you learn from your mistakes or you learn from other people's mistakes. One of them is less painful than the other, right? We're all called to learn from things that have come before us. But there can be this, this pride and this arrogance to say, I, I got it, I'll figure it out. I, I got it on my own. But the Bible is, so there's, there's a story here to tell. And part of that story is to learn from those that went before us. Verse 8 says that they should be, speaking of the, the children, that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. The wisdom here is to say, what, what can we learn from those who came before us? How can we know the history of our people so that we don't fall into the same traps? That we don't have to learn every single thing by trial and error. We can learn from others' errors. 
And so the heartbeat behind Psalm 78 is to say, hey, we messed some things up, children, next generation, and we want you to hear it so that you don't fall into that same trap. For all of us, in order to, to go forward, we, we know this principle in other areas of life. To go forward, you've got to know what's behind you, right? If you're driving a car and you cut off all your mirrors, right, or you never look at them, it wouldn't be safe. In order to, to go forward safely, you need to be able to see what's beside you and what's behind you. You need to know what's, what's already, what you've already passed and what may be coming up on you. Many of your types of work, whatever your type of work is, you, you probably had to do some homework about what happened before you were there. If you come into a, a sales position, you need to know the history of, of what people have been before you and who they sold to and what customers were like and their preferences and, and things that are going on. Whatever training you've received, you're, you're, you're on your job, you probably had some notes, some things written down, some information passed on to you about how this has been done before. In seminary, I had to take multiple classes in church history because the church didn't start the day I was born. <laughs> so it would be arrogant of me to think that we could lead without knowing what came before us. Psalm 78 is written to help us not make the same mistakes of the generations long ago that they did. Tell the next generation to learn from our mistakes. And one of the major mistakes that they made and that many times we unfortunately continue to make is that we are forgetful. Verse 7 is telling them they should not forget. Verse 11 talks about they forgot. Verse 42, they did not remember. This is a theme through this psalm as you go and read it, that one of the main mistakes is we forget about God. Many of us struggle uh, to remember things that are important. We struggle to remember the things that are happening. I'll get there in a minute, Chad. He's, he's, he's ahead of me. Um, we, uh, if, you, if you are like me, I, I have to have things around me to help me remember stuff, right? I, I have to have some, some things around me. So if you remember back to school, uh, some of the things that the teachers would do, give you those little mnemonic devices. Like, I still remember the order of operations in math because uh, my teacher told me, uh, what is it, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally, right? Parentheses, exponents. No, wait, it's got an exponent? I don't know. Anyway, I don't really remember. Parentheses, exponents, multiplication, addition, subtraction. Or the planets. You remember the planets one? It was, my very educated mother just served us nine pizzas. Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, right? I, I'm a forgetful person. I need stuff like that around me. So I'm very thankful to live in the 21st century because this little you know, piece of glass reminds me all the time the things I need to remember. Like I use that reminders app on my phone. I have like 15 recurring reminders, daily things, weekly, monthly things, so that we would, our trash would never get picked up if my phone didn't remind me at 9 o'clock every Sunday night to go put the trash out by the road, right? And every other week to put the recycling with it. My phone tells me that. My phone tells me once a month to give my dog his medicine, right? I have all kinds of recurring, pay the bills, all kinds of things that are happening because I know if I'm left to myself, I will forget them. Everything that I, I do, if I'm supposed to be somewhere, I put it on my calendar. And I, if, if you ask me to do something, you, you might should just learn to say, Philip, is it on your calendar? Because <laughs> if it is, I'll be there. If it's not, I probably won't remember. It's not that I don't love you. I just have a memory problem. I'm just bad about remembering things. All of us need things to help us remember what's most important. And God's story does that. When we come back to this story and we tell it, once again, and we remind ourselves and we pass it on to the next generation, we're telling what really matters. Don't forget about God. And then possibly remember 
God. Don't forget about the works of God. Remember what He's done for us. Remember His provision. There's something worth remembering. There's something far more important than the, the order of the planets or making sure the trash is taken out or even my dog getting his flea medicine. I did forget that this month, actually. There's, a, there's something more important. And that method, that the, 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 the information we need to share is about the story of God. Verse 4 says, We will not hide from them, from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. Do, do you remember the wondrous deeds of the Lord? Do you celebrate and remember all the wonderful things God has done? Psalm 78 tells kind of a, a cycle, at least a couple times through. And multiple times here, it's just rejoicing over the wonderful ways that He has provided for us. In verse 12, it tells the story, starts the story of the exodus from Egypt. How He divided the sea for the people to walk through on dry ground and led them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He provided water for them out in a desert, out of a rock of all places. This is the God who has provided in miraculous ways. Verse 43 goes back and tells them how that even got there. The only way they got out of Egypt because it was the miraculous things God did to release the people. He tells the story there in verse 43, following that, that of the ways that God put plagues on the people of Egypt. It was incredible the, what the power God displayed to provide a way out. He sent flies and locusts and hail, and He eventually even wiped out the firstborn children in Egypt because they would not listen to God. Do you remember that in the Bible, and do we tell those stories to the next generation so that they may see how God has provided for His people? Do you tell those stories, and do you tell your own stories? Because you, you see, I think there's also an important lesson here in the ways that we recognize how God has provided for us. We recognize the ways God provided for the people of old, and we see that those blessings have not stopped. He continues to provide for us even today. Do you tell your, 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 the next generation about what God has done for you? Do you remember what God has done for you? Can you think of the ways that God has met your needs? And maybe even more importantly, if you're here and you know Jesus today, have you, have you told the story of how God brought you to meet Himself. I was reminded this week of just the ways that God provided for me with parents who were faithful and teaching me the Bible and bringing me to church. I started thinking through all the different people that God has used in my life to point me to Him, from youth ministers to faithful men and women in my church in my early years. There are so many pastors who have invested in me and spent time with me to help me as I've come along. God provided for my education and my family. He's, just, he's done so much for me. We're called to remember that and to tell the next generation. We're called to tell them the things that we're thankful for so that they too may see our thanksgiving. I re recognized recently that apparently this word provide and provision is a, is a word I, I use because recently my kids have started praying this prayer. They say, thank you, God, for all the ways you provide us. And I love that. They're getting it. God provides for us. But as you know, through this psalm and our own lives, 
Many times it takes a downward turn there. Not because of God, but after that it takes a downward turn because of us. So as much as we're called to remember His provision, we need to look back in history and in our own lives and remember our rebellion. Over and over again in this psalm, it reminds us that though God has provided for us, we often rebel against Him. Verse 17 says, uh, this is after God has done the great things for them and brought them out of Egypt. It says, yet they sinned still more against Him, rebelling against the Most High. They tested Him. They mocked Him. They said, yeah, you can bring water from rocks, but out here in the wilderness, are you able to provide food too? They questioned His power. They questioned that could He really do what He said He could do. Or take verse 37. Their sin is so deep, it's compared to adultery. He says, their heart was not steadfast toward Him. They were not faithful to the covenant. God's people had this promise, this relationship with God, and they were not faithful. Well, look at the part starting in verse 56. It says, They rebelled against the Most High God. They turned away and they worshipped idols. This is God's people who He brought out of Egypt. And yet here they are in the desert and they say, You know what? This golden calf, that's who we're going to worship <laughs> instead of the one true God. How, how, how could they do that? The ten plagues that He brought on Egypt, the splitting the Red Sea, the walking on dry ground the destroying of the Egyptian army. How could they do that? We look to Israel and we say, how could you? And then we tell our own story, don't we? And we remember the ways God provided for us and the ways we've turned our back on Him. Over and over again, it's easier to see somebody else's sin than our own. But if we can be honest with the next generation, we too have fallen. God has provided time and time again, and yet over and over again, we turn away from Him. Psalm 78 doesn't mince words on what happens because of that. As we think about His provision and our rebellion, He also, Psalm 78, the psalmist reminds us of God's judgment. Remember His judgment. There are very real consequences for our sins. Verses 30 to 33 tell a story from Numbers chapter 11, where uh, time had gone by and the Israelites were getting so greedy that they, they despised they lost all faith in God. It says, despite His wonders, they did not believe. And because of their full rebellion, God's wrath was poured out on this group of people because of their, their sin, and they, they were killed in the desert. Verse 59 to 64 tells of God's wrath uh, and His judgment from a story from 1 Samuel, how the people thought they could control God's favor by bringing the Ark of the Covenant out to battle with them. They were trying to manipulate God and do things their own way. And God judged them not only by losing the battle, but the ark itself was taken from them. Over and over again, our sin leads to consequences. And we see that in the stories of the Bible. And we see it in our own lives. As we think about His provision and our rebellion, our sin does have real consequences. And if we don't look to the next generation, if we're not honest about the ways that we have had to suffer because of our consequences, we're setting them up for failure. Our sin has consequences. God is righteous in judging our sin. But that's not the last step, is there? You see, what we also get to share with the next generation is that even though our sin deserves consequences, He offers one more step. He offers the good news of the gospel. Mercifully, that's not the end of the story because as much as we think of His provision, rebellion, his judgment, He also offers us grace. Remember His grace. 
God shows abundant grace. Verse 38, kind of the first time through this cycle, it says, And He did not destroy them. He restrained His anger often and did not stir up all His wrath. It even says, you know, they didn't get everything deserved. It says, yet He, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity. God was willing to make the payment Himself so that we didn't have to suffer all that we deserved. We deserve to be completely wiped out, but God allowed them to continue in relationship with Him. He was gracious to His people. And then He does something incredible. In verse 70, kind of the end of the second cycle through, even though they deserved more wrath and not grace, God did something amazing, and He raised up a righteous king, King David. He raised up a deliverer, a shepherd. David goes from shepherding sheep to shepherding people and leading people. They didn't deserve that. They didn't deserve a, a faithful leader. They deserved more judgment. And yet they got a gracious redeemer and a gracious deliverer. That is amazing. I, I wonder if you can tell that same story in your own life. Can you look back and see the way that God has begun very from the very beginning to provide for you? That we turned our back on Him and we had to suffer some consequences. But God in His grace showed up time and time again to deliver us and to point us back to Himself. That, that is God's character. That is God's nature, that He would show us that kind of grace. And He's telling that story in the Bible, and He's reminding you of that story in your own life, because there's a purpose for the next generation. We said in this, this pandemic, especially, we're asking for our children, for the next generation, what's, what's essential what do we have to pass along? In order to answer that, I think that we got to be one of the critical questions we need to be answering is what, what is our end goal with our kids? Like, what's the purpose in raising our kids and pointing to the next generation? What is the goal? Lots of times we approach the next generation, we approach our kids, we approach children's ministry, even in church, and we say the goal is as long as our kids are obedient, if our kids will just say, yes ma'am and no ma'am, if they'll sit quietly and raise their hands and not disrupt, then we've won. And those are all good things. But I want to offer you that, that just draw you to this, that, that is far too low of a bar to set. It is far too low of a bar to just say, if our children will just be good people. It's not enough. It's not enough. There's something so much greater for our kids than being just a good boy or a good girl. Something far more important. And if we get that right, everything else will be okay. Verse 7, yes, it says they, the next generation, we want them to keep His commandments. But if we aim there, we're aiming too low. Verse 78 makes it clear what our aim is. It says it in verse 4, that we tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders He has done. In verse 6, So the next generation might know them, and the children yet unborn might arise and tell them to, the, to their children. Verse 7, So that, so here's the purpose, here's, the, here's all it is, So that they should set their hope in God. You see, there's something better and more important and more foundational than just being a good kid. It's putting our hope in Christ. 
if we tell and retell the story of God, then we're pointing people to God's heart. We're pointing people to His grace. The law doesn't change hearts. Only grace does. That's why Psalm 78 isn't just, hey, the next generation should follow God, and let me restate for you the Ten Commandments. It tells the story of God so that it can understand what He has done for us and that our hearts will be drawn to Him to love Him above all else. What we want for the next generation, tell the next generation this, set your hope in God. Our prayer is that by telling this story over and over again, that their hearts will be drawn to Him where they want to follow God. And if they want to follow God, if they love Him above all else, then obedience will come. The, the obey, obeying the commandments will come after that. When the next generation sees the grace of God, when they come to love Him and put their hope in Him, then we'll say, that's, that's what we want above everything else. Loving God above all else. Interestingly enough, in Psalm 78, both tragically and gloriously, the very thing he was hoping to prevent is exactly what would happen. Psalm 78 tells the story of Israel, but only up until the point of King David at the beginning of his reign. And the whole purpose seems to be, hey, if the next generation will hope in God, then they won't do the same thing that every generation before them has done. But they did and kept doing it over and over again. Even in David's own lifetime, but especially in Solomon and every generation after that, there were some that came and they followed God, but there were many who fell away and didn't love Him. God continued to provide, and we continued to rebel. Up until the point where God raised up an even better deliverer. You see, God had raised up David as a shepherd to come and to lead His people, but then He raised up the Good Shepherd, His own Son. God sent His own Son, Jesus, not just as one more king in the line of David, but the king in the line of David. He too was from the line of Judah, as David's described. He too was born in Bethlehem, the city of David. But he came to show us grace in a whole new way. Because he didn't just love us in our sin, he died for us in our sin. So that we would see the greatest story ever told the greatest example of grace ever on display, so that our hearts would be drawn to Him and that we would love Him above all else. When we tell and retell the story of God's people, we're pointing to Jesus and the grace He has for us so that we can hope in Him. So for parents today, grandparents, and for all of us who have an impact on the next generation, because all of us do. All of us are called to put our hope in Him. Put our hope in Jesus. Do you know the story of God? Are you reminded of the way that God has shown you grace, unmerited, undeserved favor? And when that gets a hold of your heart, when you love that above everything else, then it leads to pointing others to follow after you. As you're thinking about our kids this fall, thinking about what in the world school is going to do and how we're going to go about all of this, let's focus on what's essential. Our and their hope in God.
Let's pray. Father, we come to you today desperate for your grace time and time again. God, we're mindful that we have fallen so far short, so far short. God, we admit that we don't put our hope in you. We hope in the things of this world and in so much else that's going on. And we don't trust in you with our whole hearts. So God, we pray that even now you would draw us to yourself. Help us to worship you for who you are. And help us to put our hope in you. God, we're looking at our children and all the ways that their lives have been disrupted in this year. And we're pleading, God, that you would use these moments to help them to trust in you above all else. God, our hope is not in the things of this world. Our hope is in you. And we pray that our children would see that as well. I want to invite you to just continue in a spirit of prayer where you're seated or watching online as the band leads us in our closing song. And as we sing, my first invitation is for anybody who doesn't know the Lord today. Above all else, the call to you today is to hope in God, to see His grace, to see His mercy, and to see the ways that He has provided for us, and that He has called us to repentance for our rebellion and to trust in His grace. So if you don't already know Jesus today, hope in Him. But if you do know the Lord today, I wonder if you could think about somebody in the next generation. Who has God put on your heart today that you're, you're called to invest in? Somebody in the next generation, maybe they, they, they've begun in faith, maybe they've started to hope in God, but like all of us, they still need to grow. Maybe there's somebody you need to help disciple to help tell and retell this story, the story of God's grace. Maybe it's one of your own children or grandchildren. Maybe it's somebody else in our church or somebody, a neighbor, somebody else around you. I pray that during this closing song, God would put that, that person on your heart. Young or old, that you would know who God wants you to invest in, in the next generation. We invite you in these moments just to lift that person in prayer today. Maybe it's a group. Maybe it's just one. May God lay on your heart in these moments ways that you can pour into them so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, they may hope in God. Father, we pray that you would use these moments to draw us to you and that you'd show us what it looks like to invest in the next generation, that they may hope in you. In Christ's name, amen.